You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ahmed Manawar. So honored and so blessed to have the one and only Brennan Dunn on the show with us today. Brennan Dunn is a man who needs no introduction in the freelancer, independent consultant marketplace. He's a founder of a very popular site and community called Double Your Freelancing. Brennan has been steering and guiding and helping freelancers for, I don't know, the better part of the last 10 years, maybe more, on critical issues like finding clients, lead generation, raising your rates, and really making that leap that we talk about on the show quite a bit from order taker who just clocks in and clocks out and gets paid to trusted advisor, business advisor, business consultant. So lots to learn from Brennan in this conversation. As you will hear, him and I see eye to eye on a lot of things. I love his approach. I love the way that he approaches marketing. And we're going to get to what that looks like in a minute. But before I let you go and I let you listen to the interview with Brennan, I would love it if you have gotten something of value out of this show. If you haven't, don't worry. But if you've gotten something of value out of this show, I would love it if you would leave us a rating and a review in iTunes. Simple way to do that is go to forecast.fm slash iTunes. That'll send you directly to the iTunes page and go ahead and leave us a rating and a review. I would really appreciate it. And in fact, I'd like to return the favor. So once you've done that, send me a screenshot of your rating and your review and send it into my email address, which is Ahmed, A-H-M-A-D at boutiquegrowth.com. And I will be picking one person at random to send my book of the month. Haven't picked the book, but I assure you it'll be a book that I enjoy and that you will enjoy reading as well. So go ahead and, and leave us a rating and a review at forecast.fm slash iTunes. Send in a screenshot of that to me, Ahmed, A-H-M-A-D at boutiquegrowth.com. And if you're the lucky winner, I will send you a book in the mail. With that, here is Brennan Dunn. Brennan, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Listen, why don't you get us started by telling folks uh, the quick backstory behind uh, your freelancing career and how you got into the business up until the work you're doing now? Yeah, so in the mid-2000s, I started freelancing uh, really out of, out of necessity. So I moved out of state and didn't really know the business scene local to me up in Virginia where I am now. So I started, uh, I partnered up with a college buddy of mine and some work for Really, the, the, my first break was a startup out of San Francisco, just typical kind of like, a, you know, Web 2.0, as they were called then, uh, startup, and did a bunch of work with them. And then um, in 2008, I got to the point where we were, or I, I should say, not we, I, it was still very much me at the time, uh, was getting too many work requests that I could, like, I was getting more demand than supply, right? Like, so it was just myself and a lot of people wanted to work together. Um, the market was really booming for the work I was doing, which is Ruby on Rails back then. Um, so I decided to, uh, on a whim, kind of start an agency. So I had friends that I had met at conferences and just, you know, in doing what I did. And I basically pitched them on, hey, what if I, you know, I've got a lot of work that uh, people want to get done. How would I manage that relationship? I sell them. I do everything. You just code and do what you like to do all day. Um, so that started out, uh, the kind of this new agency that eventually grew to 11 employees, opened up an office here in North Virginia. Um, and then I got to the point where business is doing pretty well. Uh, we were again, growing and everything else, but I w really wanted to get into software. I really liked building, I wanted to build and sell my own software instead of building it for other people from clients. So I started a company called Planscope in 2011 and, uh, it was a project management tool for freelancers and agencies. And in doing that and trying to sell it, I uh, basically started writing a lot about uh, consulting and freelancing. So I wrote a lot about what I'd learned uh, building this agency, like mistakes I'd made when it came to selling ourselves, pricing ourselves and so on. And uh, funny enough, that actually took off. Like the, the content I was producing did a lot better than the software product ever did. So in uh, 2016, about two years ago, I sold PlanScope uh, so I could basically focus full time on this kind of content arm that I built up. 
uh, starting in 2011. And um, that content arm became WR Freelancing, which now houses a lot of courses and conferences and so on that I've been running, but are now, um, as of the last few years, under this one brand. So that's a community of uh, right now 50,000 uh, freelancers and agencies. And my focus is just on helping people really with the business side of things. So, you know, most of my audience are developers, designers, marketers, and so on. They're really good at technically what they do. But when it comes to the actual, like, um, you know, nuts and bolts of running an independent business, like how do you reliably get clients? How do you, you know, what sort of processes or systems should you have in place within your business? How do you stay on top of cash flow? Things like that, things that I think a lot of us learn the hard way. Um, I take pretty much like a, a very research-based approach to, you know, what can we learn about, like from a lot of people, including my own experience, uh, how can we distill that down into frameworks that people can follow? So that's my whole thing. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm also running another company called Write Message, which is um, a software company I started last year. Um, and that's website personalization, which is kind of out of scope from what we're going to be talking about today. So. Awesome. Cool. So I want to learn more about that transition you made way back when, when you were the technical person, Ruby on Rails developer, and you decide, look, I want to focus more on the sales and the marketing and being the entrepreneur. Is that something that just came naturally to you? Why did you want to make that shift? Well, the, the thing I usually don't talk about um, happened before freelancing, and that is I did have a startup right out of college called um, uh, Agathon Solutions. It was a lead generation company. And um, we generated leads, and a lot of that was selling these leads to mortgage companies. So I got pretty good, I think, at kind of closing people on paying up front for a batch of leads that they didn't that we hadn't generated yet. Um, and I had done a lot, like I'd always liked the selling kind of part of the equation, I guess, right? Um, and I just knew, ha having met a lot of other fellow developers, that a lot of people really disliked that. They did not want to do that at all. They wanted to just, you know, sit at home with headphones on, listen to music, write really good object-oriented code, and that's their, like, thing, right? Um, and I knew that just going to technical conferences. I mean, you hear that again and again where, you know, what ends up happening is a lot of people go out thinking that they're going to, you know, run their own consulting business, and they're very optimistic about it. And then they realize that if they really just want to write code all day, they're probably better off as an employee, right? So they end up kind of folding up and going back to employment. Um, so I wanted to find like, you know, people, I wanted to find a way that I could at least help enable for a few people, um, them to have kind of the, the flexibility of freelancing, but without the whole like sourcing and closing clients element of it. Got it. So now fast forward, wfreelancing.com is this massive community of 50,000 plus freelancers, consultants, agencies. And I think what's interesting to me is you've got this really unique vantage point. You've got this big community, you've done all this training, you've covered all these topics. Yeah. What is it in your estimation uh, that is the number one challenge that these folks struggle with? I mean, the biggest thing is deal flow. The biggest thing is, uh, I mean, it it all ties to each other in a number of ways. And I'll get into that in a second, but for the most part, the biggest complaint that people have is they have a very kind of reactive way towards running their business. So they either, you know, a client, a project wraps up, they have availability, they didn't do anything in the interim to kind of secure what's next. So then they start to scramble, whether it's like, you know, um, emailing people or going on to Upwork or, you know, something like that, right. To try to get, another client because they didn't budget accordingly so that they can deal with cash flow hiccups like that, right? So no more checks are coming in. So now it's like, what do I do to stay afloat? Um, so that that's probably the biggest thing. And I think that really what that lends itself to is uh, having a more proactive, more uh, business-like approach to, you know, lead generation and sales. So big, big consultancies, big agencies, they don't just hope that next month they're gonna get the right clients walking in the door. But a lot of, especially a lot of freelancers, they operate in such a way where it's very luck driven. It's very much like, oh, I happen to get the right referral at the right time or something like that, right? So the issue is the ones that survive are the ones who kind of had the, the string of good luck again and again and again. Whereas the ones we don't often hear about, the ones who go back and like basically write off freelancing is not for them. They say, well, you know, I tried it, it didn't work out, and I got this really good job offer. Um, for them, typically, 
their luck ran out at some point and their monthly bills or whatever couldn't, uh, they just couldn't make it work. So they throw in the towel. We don't hear about them as much. Um, and my big thing is, you know, when I was building this agency back in the you know, late 2000, uh, 2008, 2009, I knew that especially as I started to ramp up as we, you know, I added headcount and this, these were salaried employees. So it wasn't like per project, it wasn't around a project, right? So I had to make sure that I had this much money every month to pay my overhead. I couldn't just do the thing that I'd traditionally done, which was, oh, look, I you know, found this person who past client of mine referred me to them. They came knocking and great, worked out. That, that's not really a viable strategy that you can use to secure the cash flow you need to actually stay afloat. So a lot of what we ended up doing uh, back then, uh, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, is doing things like using education-based marketing to get in front of companies who are not yet looking for actual consulting work and kind of bring them into our ecosystem and help teach them about what's possible and so on. And then ultimately either convert them into clients or uh, referral sources for us. Um, and that's really when we started doing that, that's what made it so we could actually sit back and not be worried about like, hey, it's September, where, where am I getting the right clients in October before I need to write all this, you know, pay all this money in, in payroll. So yeah, I mean, that, that was probably, I know I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent, but that's that was one of the big things that uh, for me at least, that's when things started to change. And, I, and with that shift came this realization that, you know, it took me a while to kind of get a handle on, which was clients weren't actually paying me for code. They weren't paying uh, other people for design or words or whatever else. They were paying for some sort of business outcome. And as a technical person myself, you know, by training, I always thought that what they, you know, I was being hired to write code, right? But it wasn't until I really got involved in, well, why is this code being written? What job does this code have? You know, how can I leverage my expertise, not only in knowing how to code, but also just have my ear to the ground when it comes to, you know, startups and, you know, online businesses and so on, like what's working, what isn't. When I started actually consulting instead of just building, um, that's really, that, that I would say that was really the big shift for me. And with that came positioning ourselves more as a, uh, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, like a solutions company that actually solves business problems versus just a, uh, like what I used to call myself, I used to call, we go to networking events when I first started out and it was like local networking and there'd be bankers and like lawyers and, you know, the typical kind of people you find at networking events. I remember introducing myself uh, the first time I ever went to a networking event as I own a uh, small Ruby shop, which, you know, to these people, it's like, okay, so there's this like jeweler here. <laughs> and uh, so my, my, uh, my outward positioning was way off. But had I gone to, you know, Ruby conference said that, that'd be totally in line with, there was, I didn't really have that distinction between peers and, uh, and clients, I guess. It's funny, I had a client uh, I was talking to today, actually, earlier this morning, and uh, she wanted my feedback on her daily rate. So I'm thinking about, you know, the, you know this, this much per day. Uh, what do you think? And I said, clients don't care about your daily rate. Like, they're not buying days. They're buying an outcome. So just tell them what it costs and don't worry about the daily rate. And that was a big shift. But, you know, a lot of folks who are, whether they're technical or not, she wasn't technical, she's a consultant, but... Just that's the mindset we come into, typically from an employment background, where we think yeah. about our, our value based on the time that we spend at the company and the days that we work is there's a lot of just mindset shifts that have to take place to go from I'm charging for my time and for my days, and my hours to I'm charging for an outcome. And that takes a little bit of courage, I think, too, because, you know, it's a lot safer to charge for time, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll show up for 40 hours and bang on the keyboard for you. You pay me this much an hour to bang on the keyboard, right? Like that's, like you said, that's safe, that's comfortable. Cause you know, you, you have some confidence in your technical abilities, but you know, can you actually, can the technical stuff you produce actually benefit a business? Well, that's, that's risky, right? Like, I mean, maybe not. Um, and I think we've all been guilty of like delivering the correct project, meaning, you know, it's correct in the sense that it works, but then it ended up being the wrong project or the wrong stuff that we delivered, right? Like you can be technically correct, but actually still fail. And, Strategically wrong. Right, exactly. And, and that's often, I mean, if you're just an order taker, I mean, whose fault is that, right? Like, and I think that's a big question that we kind of need to internalize. But 
I think the the best thing that I ever did, both for myself and my clients as a consultant, was to realize that my job is just not to take orders. And that, that's going to lend itself to a different type of clientele you work with. Because if you work with a company that needs effectively staff augmentation, so they're like, we have a team of five developers, we need a sixth. Um, our recruiting isn't working that well, we're going to find a contractor. They just need a warm body who is talented or can technically you know, do stuff, right? Whereas if you're going after like who I preferred pursuing, which are you know companies who want to effectively outsource their R and D or um, want to you know basically do something that is really outside of their skill set, then that's I found that's where I excel best, and that's where I'm able to make the most impact, and that's where I get paid the most. So you know that was kind of the sweet spots because you're not you're not really a commodity. You know I wasn't selling myself as a Ruby on Rails developer. Instead, I'm uh, really just a, a business consultant who happens to write code uh, in the course of an engagement. But it was a total paradigm shift. And it took a while for me to really get comfortable with that because, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of, it's a lot safer, I think, to cling to what you know and what you're good at, which is, you know, all the time and years you spent getting good at your craft. So let me ask you this, maybe a bit of a tangent, but I want to get your thoughts. So I found that uh, folks who are a little bit further along on the journey, the more that you've worked with clients, more projects you've done, the more results you've gotten, you're a little bit more confident in, in being able to claim an outcome and going to a client and saying, hey, look, we can help you get X, Y, and Z desired business outcome because we've done it before, right? It's challenging when you're starting out and you don't have that track record of client results at the same time, you don't want to get caught in that trap of selling your time and being that kind of generalist who, you know, is really only valuable to someone that's looking for another warm body to bang on the keyboard, right? So what's your best advice to somebody who's kind of in the earlier stages but doesn't really have the confidence to come out and claim to be able to produce outcomes? What do they do? Yeah, I mean, I think the there's conception is it's like you need to be some prophet or Houdini or something to, to, to do this right. Um, really, I've found that if you if you actually collaborate in the in the right sense of the word with a client and you're like talking with them about, so tell me about, okay, so you want to build an app that does X, Y, and Z. Let's, you know, peel back the layers a bit and, and let's really figure out what you're trying to achieve with this and so on so that I can write better code, right? So I can write the right code. I found that even if, I mean, it's hard to project, like, well, there's a lot of variables. There's more than just, you know, the, the uh, example I like to give is, you know, if I sell a startup pizzeria, the best oven ever made, is that gonna cause that pizzeria to succeed? Well, maybe not, maybe they have really bad ingredients or maybe they, the place is filthy and, and the, you know, just they get terrible reviews. There's a lot that is ultimately out of our control, but I do think, practically speaking, the more we try to get on the wavelength, the business wavelength, even if you're not, even if you're not like a seasoned business person, right? Like, the more you can actually work with your client and, and really figure out the motivation and goals of a project, the more likely it is that what you end up doing for them technically, even if you're not fully comf comfortable and fully, fully confident in your abilities as a business person, you're more likely to deliver better, more accurate deliverables, I think, right? So if you know, like, this is the goal of this project, then hopefully there's healthy communication throughout the engagement where you're always aligning, like, whether you have a new idea one day or the client comes to you and says, hey, I thought of this thing in the shower, we should do it. Um, as long as you both know what is the goal we're both aiming towards. And then you, you challenge yourself. And this should be something, I think, good clients want this. I know when I hire people, I want this. I don't want people just to be yes men. I want people to push back sometimes and say, well, considering this is your outcome, your outcome is to sell as many copies of this new course you're releasing as possible. How is you doing this actually going to get you closer to that goal than you were before today, right? So I, I think even if you're not fully confident, if you don't know the, the jargon and the lingo and you don't have the like case study portfolio of here's all these people whose businesses I've multiplied in the past, the more you're showing, visibly showing somebody that I understand where you're coming from. I know that you're not just looking to spend a bunch of money on code and designs and words or whatever it is you do, but I know that you have some objective, some change in your business that you want as a result of our work together. How can I be best 
to help you get there or, you know, not, not, I'm not the captain, potentially. I'm, maybe I'm just, you know, an oarsman, but I want to make sure that I'm rowing in the right direction with you, right? So I think, you know, I, I've, I know early on for myself and for a lot of us, uh, you kind of get thrown into things and you're like, yeah, I got this project. Everyone's motivated. We're all happy. It's like, you know, the deal is done. I'm really happy because I know I'm about to make a lot of money in the future and the client's motivated because it's, they're finally going to get what they want. But there's still that we might be technically on the kind of the same page in terms of how it's going to be built, maybe what it's going to look like wireframe wise. But until you're really both on the same page conceptually and about the outcome, the, the job of this. So if you're, you know, it's, it's a bit like I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole jobs to be done framework of thinking where you're thinking of, you know, what is the job of this? Uh, you know, this handbag or something, right? Like what is uh, for the owner, what job does it have in order to like, how, how is it successful or how is it a failure? So I think if, if you can kind of translate that to the work you do, if, you know, you're building effectively an employee for the client, right? So if you're redesigning your, their website, you're building, you're creating an employee for them. So what's its job description? What are the KPIs that it needs to, if, again, if you're not sufficiently, uh, well-versed in business, that just means like, what are the key performance indicators, metrics, if you will, that we need to hit in order for this employee to be most successful? And again, a lot of that's out of your control. A lot of that is not maybe fully, uh, you know, you can't help with maybe how they price. You can't help with maybe how they market themselves. So if no one comes to the website, is it really your fault if it doesn't end up doing well? But I think the more you can understand, like, why is the old website being fired? What does the new website need to do differently? And how can I make sure I just don't throw a new skin on this? And how do I actually make do the best to the best of my ability to make sure that what I do ends up actually having a meaningful effect on the underlying business? Now, I think it's it's more of a mindset thing than a certainty or or anything else, you know. So yeah. So in other words, you just need to make that that shift from order taker, like you said, to trusted advisor. Correct. Yeah. And even if you can't really frame up the outcome perfectly, just making that shift and having that conversation, that's going to set you apart from most of your peers right away. And it's going to give you, give the client a better result. So yeah, it'll achieve both. Fantastic. So you mentioned education-based marketing. I know this is a, a pillar of your approach. You've been preaching it for a long time and practicing it for a long time. Tell us what, what that means. Yeah. So the, um, the kind of the traditional approach, I guess, to advertising, let's start there, is you put your, you know, you, you advertise your consulting business. Maybe you run some Google Ad, AdWords and, um, you, you know, you have it. So if people type in website design or something like that, you might come up, they click over and they go to your homepage, your services page, let's say. And your hope is that people will click through and then fill out your contact form and they'll become a client. So the approach, the, the education-based marketing approach really boils down to this, which is if somebody gets to the point, if a client gets to the point where they're actively seeking out a you know, web designer, right? There is a tremendous amount of survivorship stuff that's already occurred. And what I mean by that is if somebody gets to the point where they're thinking, I need a web designer, I'm going to go Google web design, you know, freelancers or something, then they've already, if you really go back in time, they've already figured out, I have a problem. This problem is capable of being solved. So let's have concrete examples. So the problem is um, my online store isn't converting nearly well enough. You know, I don't think it's doing is nearly as good as it should be doing. So then the next realization, the next kind of level of awareness is, well, can this be solved? Well, sure. I mean, you used to look at other competitors. Mine, they're seemingly doing very well. I have friends. They've given me their numbers. It is possible to, to fix this problem. It's not just a, you know, I'm not that unique. Like this is, fixable. All right. So how do we go about fixing it? Well, maybe not enough people are going to the website. That's one fix, right? Like you need more volume. Another fix is, well, people are going, but they're just not buying, right? So that's another possibility. Um, or people just aren't coming back. Customers aren't coming back to buy more. Maybe that would help fix it. So there's different, all these different kind of pathways, right? That can lend itself to fixing that underlying problem. And one of those pathways could be the design is holding us back from conversions. So my natural next step is I'm going to go and figure out, okay, so design's holding me back. I need a web designer. I'm going to go look for web designers. So if somebody has gotten that to that point, they've survived this lengthy gauntlet, right? And that's a minority of people. 
because most people are at the point where they're running an online store and they don't really net consciously realize that they have an issue or a problem, or if they do, they don't know how to fix it or they go down a different path. So the kind of education-based approach uh, to selling consulting that, that I take is meet people back there, meet people back, you know, get in front of them when they're not actively pursuing a web design project, let's say, and, um, you know, give them really in-depth, valuable content education that helps them understand, you know, how you can, how they as a store owner can sell more online, right? So you're putting out content about, um, maybe you're reviewing like uh, different uh, call to action tools or something like that, right? And the pros and cons of each and things like that, or you're going to local entrepreneur meetups and you're giving presentations or just talking to people about uh, different things that they could be doing to boost online revenue or something like that, or, or, you know, something like you're just going out there and you're not, you're not saying I'm going to teach a seminar on web design for e-commerce or something, because that's only going to appeal to a very small subset of people. But instead you're going and you're saying, I want to get in front of as many store owners as possible and help them understand what they might be missing out on. And I'm going to systematically funnel them towards realizing that yes, they do have a problem. This problem has, or can be, mitigated somewhat through better design. And then I'm going to kind of ferry them over towards ultimately applying to work with me. So like, you know, okay, th this is, this is what, you know, here's some examples, maybe other websites that are doing really well when it comes to conversions or something like that. Here's your, you know, maybe you're just kind of researcher in chief. You're doing a lot of uh, searching and bringing to the surface on, on, you know, uh, for them kind of this, this curated arsenal of content that, brings them to the point where they see, wow, if I invested the right money in the right person or the right team to change the design of my website in this and that way, then I could potentially also see a boost in conversions, which would fix this problem that I know now exists and I'm aware of how it impacts me. So I know that's, that's kind of a very overblown way of kind of stating a, a very big system, but the long and short of it is meet people before they're actively looking for somebody like us, because there's a lot more of them than there are people who survive that gauntlet and are actively looking for web designers. And the problem is if, if, you're, if you only meet them when, at the point where they realize I have a problem that can be solved, I know how to solve it, I just need to find a designer to do it for me, you're naturally gonna be more commoditized at that point and you're gonna have, you know, they're gonna be, they're not just gonna click on your site when they Google web designers, they're gonna click on everyone else's site and, and fill up you know, all their contact forms and so on. So it becomes naturally more competitive and more commoditized versus the other approach where you kind of establish, you kind of teach them from the beginning the right way of thinking and then present yourself as the, uh, the, the, the person, the team that can come in and solve the problem that you've set up for them. And then, of course, the irony is if you're waiting for them to come to you when they're ready for a designer and they're clicking on your website, then you're going to need a conversion optimization expert to help you convert more leads. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. And it's just that it's just it's going to be a different. I mean, I think most of us are probably used to that more so, right, where we're, we're, we have people who know they explicitly sought out a Ruby on Rails developer in my case. Like there are so many companies that could have helped that have no idea that Ruby on Rails is a thing. right? Yes. <laughs> and the problem is if you're only... You know, a lot of, I, I talk to a lot of people who have uh, a lot of agencies specifically who are software consultancies and they're, let's say they're Ruby on Rails or Python or PHP. And there are, the, the big question that I hear from a lot of them is, why do you think most of our, the client work we're getting is from like CTOs and people who are wanting like, you know, um, uh, like, you know, temp base kind of like, we just need warm bodies in a, in a chair, like staff augmentation stuff. I'm like, well, because, you know, they, they know, okay, what is our, our technical stack is Ruby on Rails. We're going to Google Ruby on Rails agency and hopefully find some like, you know, Slack people that we can bring in. And that, that's the answer. Like they're, they're naturally setting themselves up because no like MBA who is running this like brick and mortar company who is looking to achieve X, Y, and Z. They don't know what Ruby is. They don't know what web apps are. They don't like none of that. They just want, you know, some solution and they don't know how to get there unless they have which i've experienced for sam like a friend who is technical and says oh you should uh look you should find somebody who can do ruby work or something like that because they happen to you know use it on their stuff or something right and that can sometimes give you that that kind of more non-technical more whatever type of stakeholder um but for the most part you're going to get technical people 
Yeah, I think this really ties in well to the previous point that you made about going from order taker to, to trusted advisors. If, if that's the required mindset shift, and if you're going to make that shift uh, and really own it, then you can't just sit around and wait. You've got to go out there and educate the client. That's what an advisor does. Otherwise, you're never going to have that conversation. Correct. Correct. And, and you know, it's funny, like the, the way we grew that agency that I started, you know, 2008 was exactly this. So we, it was kind of a, I want to say it was a risk because it was unknown to me. But when the people that I surrounded myself with in the local business community, these kind of like, you know, suit and tie consultant types, right? They, they all said, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing, you need to be thinking more in terms of education than sales, right? And what was interesting was we started doing things like the thing that actually made it click was I was, uh, I belong to a bunch of local meetups, right? So these different entrepreneur meetup groups, and they're usually kind of a waste of time, but they're networking and networking always feels productive for some reason. (laughs) So I would go to these and there was one in particular where I got an email from one I belong to and it promoted the upcoming event and it promoted this, uh, this lawyer who was going to come in and give a talk on the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and online copyrights in general. So she was going to give an hour-long presentation. And I was like, you know, I don't do anything that warrants. Like, I would never seek out this ever. But, you know, I work online. I should probably know something about this. So it's, it's free. I'm going to go. And there's networking afterwards. So if anything, I can make some mingle stuff, right? <laughs> So uh, her name was Barbara. So, uh, you know, I, I get to this event. There was probably 60 or 70 people there. And on everyone's seat was a folder with her slide deck printed out and her business card in it, right? And she gave a talk on, it wasn't pitching herself at, in the slightest. It was just straight up, here's everything you need to know about online copyright stuff um, for the, la- for the la- lady. So for like people who don't know anything about legal stuff. Um, and it was super interesting. And, you know, the funny thing was, a lot of my clients, whenever they need the legal stuff, I would refer them to her, even though I'd never actually worked with her in any meaningful way. She didn't even know who I was, but she had kind of, she had proven herself in a way, right? Where uh, here's, here was somebody who obviously knows, knows the talk based on what she was saying, knows, knows what she's just doing. Like if somebody says to me, like a client says, hey, do you have any recommendations for somebody I could talk to you about? Like, you know, copywriting this thing you're building or whatever. I'm like, yeah, go, go talk to this barber person. So, you know, I don't know if I'm unique in this and that I sent her a lot of work and maybe others there did too. But the big realization there was if I could emulate that model, but for building software, right? Where we're not going to do something technical about like object-oriented coding practices or something because you're not going to get, you're not going to get, you know, CEOs and stuff showing up to that. But if instead we did things like, should you build something or should you buy it off the shelf software-wise? Or what happens when your company outgrows Microsoft Excel? Which was a big pain point for a lot of these people where they have these internal Excel spreadsheets that they're emailing back and forth around the office. And you know this is kind of pre-Dropbox in a way. So like, you know, that was really appealing to people. And we would come in and we'd basically give a talk on, did you know that? Because a lot of what we did was CRUD apps, right? So create, retrieve, update, and delete. So just data storing and pulling and editing and stuff. And we're like, you could, you could get like everything you have in a spreadsheet now, but you have auditing and you can send out an email when this happens and we can have some like basic workflow type things. And for a lot of them, they told me, they're like, you know, I always thought custom software was like what IBM or Microsoft did. I didn't think that that like a company like ours could do custom software. I thought we would need like all these in-house people or whatever else and the budgets you're telling me about are not really out of reach for us, right? So we ended up getting a lot of clients through those kind of channels. And the funny thing is most people who attended didn't become clients of ours, but instead they became referral sources for us. Because the, the interesting thing is if you think about where your referrals come from, so you know who sends you new clients? It's usually past clients, right? Like a past client who's benefited from you in some meaningful way. So they worked with you you presumably did something good for them and they send new people to you. Well, if the equation is deliver value and then that will in turn deliver referrals, well, you can only scale your client base so quickly, right? But I can get 80 people in a room and deliver a lot of value at scale and boom, now I've got potentially 80 referral sources 
And that's where we, that's where we got to. We got to 3,000 people on our list locally. And we were getting, you know, Fortune 500s working with us. Mitt Romney uh, ended up hiring us for his campaign back in 2011 or whatever. And it was completely weird and random, I thought, at the time. But, you know, some guy who attended our thing was the brother-in-law of somebody at the Romney campaign who then, you know, like it, it was just amazing how that worked. And in retrospect, you know, at the beginning of this talk or in this interview, I was talking about how, you know, a lot of us had this like luck driven business. But at the end of the day, what I did is I just multiplied my luck abilities, right? <laughs> Where instead of having a portfolio of 20 past clients who every month there's like a X percent chance that I'll get a referral from them. Well, if you have 3000 people who've all received value from you, sure, not in the same way as a client, the likelihood that they can then in turn send new work to you is pretty significant, right? So our whole strategy was deliver a ton of value at scale, keep them close to us by doing recurring events. We did like a shark tank type thing at our office. We would do anytime we launched a project, we would email our list, go to a local bar and the first drink was on us. And whoever wants to come and, and hang out and really celebrate with us our ability to get stuff done, which is a big you know, thing, <laughs> think about it, right? Like that whole system worked exceptionally well for us. And what I'm finding now is we were offline primarily. We did in-person events at our office. We did meetups at bars and this and that. But how do you translate that to online? And that's what I've been doing the last few years with W Freelancing is same strategies. I mean, granted, I can't offer my list free, free beer, but... Um, you know, Wouldn't that be an offer? <laughs> but it's the same approach. It's just, it's at more scale, but it's not as personal too. So there's trade-offs, but for the most part, it's the same formula kind of works. So, yeah. So let me ask you this. So this idea of education-based marketing and, and content marketing overall, I find there are two camps here. And there may be a third, and I'm open to that. I want to get your thoughts on this. But I found there's two camps. There's, there's a camp that will argue that you want to educate the buyer to the point where they're ready to do business with you and, and, and no further. And there's another camp that will argue, no, just give away the farm. Just, just show them how to do it. They can't do it on their own anyways. They're going to end up hiring you. Where do you think that sweet spot is, or is there a third camp? For consulting, especially I'm in the second camp, because the kind of clients you want to work with are not do-it-yourselfers. They're going to be the ones who are like, I'm running a business, and yeah, I feel confident now. Like, It's kind of like if, have you ever done something where, like, let's say you're going to work with a lawyer of some sort. You Google all this stuff about like the thing you're getting into, because you don't want to act like a dumbass when you meet them for the first time, right? <laughs> like, you don't want to be that in the dark. So I think good clients are the sort who want to get some familiarity with the domain that they need help in, but they're not going to be their own lawyer. <laughs> like, so, you know, you want as clients, people who recognize the value of their own time, they're not going to screw around trying to kind of learn on the job. They've got their own stuff to do. They're running their own business and so on. And those are the kind of people you want. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think if you get people through these funnels that are do-it-yourselfers who are like, no, I'm, I just want to learn it all kind of on the job and, you know, screw around for a bunch, you know, you know, whatever, they don't value their time, they'd probably end up being terrible clients anyway. So I, I'm fine with giving with farm. Now, conversely, you don't want to overwhelm. So there's a, there's a balance between, you don't want to give out, you don't want to go too technical to whatever uh, in doing this because you could just cause decision paralysis, you know, in people and stuff. You want to kind of prescribe to the best that you're able to saying like, here's how it all works. Here's the data behind it. Here's what I would do if you, I were in your shoes. And now you have two options. You can either, um, I you can hire me and I can implement exactly to these, you know, degree that I've outlined it exactly what I've just talked about, or you can take what I've given you and kind of do it yourself and, you know, hopefully it works. Um, the smart clients are going to go for that first approach. And those are the ones you probably want anyway. So Brennan, I know you've got a, a, the launch of a new course coming up and I'd appreciate it if you could indulge us a little bit on what's working right now in terms of lead generation for consultants and agencies. Yeah. So I think the thing that's working is kind of an expanded view of what I just laid out. So the argument I make in the course is that, uh, well, it's, it's basically a very extended argument of what I've been making in the last few minutes, but the long and short of it is um, if you can find a way to have a very tightly positioned service offering, which is kind of a first initial engagement that you offer somebody. So in, instead of like a big open-ended, like let's go and 
do this whole lengthy proposal process, like an actual very turnkey service document you can give somebody. Work backwards from that to prepare somebody to be a customer or client of that service offering. So if you have a thing like, let's say you offer some like audit of your current website and we'll go and I'll give you a, an entire custom prescription on exactly what you should do with the new redesign, how you should structure your site, how you should do this and that. And I'll keep like that could be the service that you offer people up front. And it's a fixed price thing that you can probably slot in like on a moment's notice. It doesn't need to be something you schedule out for months. And it's very much, here's what you pay, here's what you get, right? So clients like that, especially new clients who aren't fully trusting of your ability to deliver an ROI. So you sell that. And then the goal is to prepare somebody to be ready for that. So that means they need to understand the value of, of design, see what effect design has on overall conversions, see maybe case studies, even if they're not yours, but just you know data that other companies have shared about um, you know what effect design has toward, uh, you know, you could like great book that I, I'm not a designer, but I read a book about 10 years ago called uh, Don't Make Me Think. And the whole thing's about, you know, how to think about navigation on a website. Like if they're on the, in their shopping cart or whatever, say it's an online store, why should you remove navigation? What effect does it have? And and every navigation item is a competing call to action against the buy now button, right? So like, you know, thinking through that and really just showing that, you know, curating this knowledge to somebody that gets them to the point where when they see a service offering, they're like, okay, I can actually, I know now why I need this. I'm gonna get the author of all this information or the curator of this information to, with with his or her perspective, assess what I'm doing, tell me what's right, tell me what's wrong, give me a prescription. And then the, the job becomes, well, that, that funnel that leads somebody, that nurtures them, that prepares them, you sell that actively. You don't sell your services, you sell that. So you're giving a talk at a conference, you promote that. You're doing a guest post, you promote that. You're on a podcast, you promote that. You, um, you know, write content for your own site, you promote that. You go to a networking event and you meet somebody, you say, hey, I put together this thing it's like a nine lesson email course that I've, I've put together that's all about kind of what role design has in online business. Uh, would you mind when I get back home if I just send it to you, right? So you get all these cards and you've met 10 people, shaking 15 hands, you have 15 business cards, go home, you basically opt every one of those in because they give you verbal permission at the event. And that becomes your strategy where you're, instead of saying, hey, I'm a web designer, and they're like, well, that's cool, but I don't need web design help right now, right? Like that's not going to go very far. Um, whereas if you say, hey, you run a business, I have a uh, this free course I put together that's all about what role does design have on the success of your website, and it's you know in depth and so on. Can I send that to you? You're going to have like a 99% opt-in rate to that, right? So you do that, and and the goal of that is to have an automated kind of funnel that prepares them to be put in front of your service offering, and then your service offering becomes a, um, a very to the point, pay this, pay that. It's almost an impulse buy for businesses, so it's not a you know, $50,000 engagement. It's, it's maybe, I've seen them cost 300, I've seen them cost 3,000. Depends on kind of what kind of work you do or whatever else, but it could be a, uh, when I did this, uh, one of my students did this on me actually, I was looking to into the viability of YouTube ads. I've been getting a lot of content from him about, YouTube advertising and so on and like best practices and case studies and this and that, and just a lot of research. And I was on his newsletter and then he pointed me to this sales page, which um, very happy with how he did it, but it was a $297 one hour Skype call where what he would do is he would share these Google spreadsheets with you that he would edit live and you would plug in things like, well, you know, plug in your business model, plug in what you sell, average customer value, your on-site conversion rates and so on. And he's gonna superimpose actual data from typical YouTube campaigns he's worked on onto that. And he can basically give you kind of a ballpark in terms of what effect YouTube ads done right would have. And then he kind of would, would work you through, walk you through, you know, if you're going to go out and, and run at YouTube ads, um, you need to be thinking about this. You need to do this. Don't do that. Here's like, here's exactly what you should be doing. And then the call to action at the end of that was, if you want, I have a monthly retainer where I can basically do all this for you. Um, or you can just manage this yourself. So like I would have never jumped directly into that retainer out, outside of, you know, spending $300 was not that huge of a deal for me. You know, it's a business purchase. It's not that much and all things considered. And I was able to get some kind of personalized prescriptive advice that could then be turned into an implementation project 
uh, should I want to do that? So that's that's kind of the that's the approach I take, which is very different than I know a lot of us work. And it, it's not an overnight thing. Like you don't do this today and then tomorrow you're inundated with work. But it's one of these things that you can have going on in the background. So while you're busy full time, you can be getting people into this free, what I call the freebie offering, which is the nurturing funnel. Uh, into that, you know, aware of what they should be doing and so on. And, and basically giving this a lot of this kind of advice scale through an automated way and then basically pitching them on the service offering or even doing something like getting them to apply to work with you or something like that. And the benefit is you can go out and you can be doing stuff when you're fully booked and be getting people going through this pipeline. And since it's so focused on them wanting to work specifically with you, you can build up a backlog. You can have a multi-month backlog of people waiting to work with you, especially if you're serv- selling a service offering first. Because you can do that again. Like I could sell one and do it this Friday or something, you know, regardless of what I'm doing, I can carve out the time and do it. At least then they're a client and you can say, great. So we've, you know, here's exactly what you're going to get done. Here's the homework that I want you to do in the meantime. And we can slot you in to start November. Perfect, right? And that's the kind of funnel ideally that you want. And if you do get to the point where you need availability and that funnel is not bringing you the, the work to stand, um, you've got this audience of people who, who trust and look up to you, who you can sell directly to them over email, or as long as you're continuing to nurture them over time. So not just through that first kind of nurturing to pitching on the service offering, but then having sort of weekly newsletter. And I talk about how do you actually do an effective consulting newsletter? How do you, how do you use it to create sales conversations at scale? Um, you have something like that that keeps them close, keeps you front of mind. I mean, that's the, it's the, it's the thing all of us do when we're selling like online courses or online coaching or anything like that, but it's very specific to typically higher fee, more relational uh, consulting projects, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. And, and I love that because especially for folks who are selling like higher ticket services, you know, getting into the five, 10 plus thousand dollars, it's easier for the client. It's also easier for you. I mean, you don't want to get into a six month engagement until you kind of know the other, the other person, right? So it's a nice way to kind of have both of you ease into the relationship. They're getting to know you, you're getting to know them. And then if it makes sense to both of you, you can proceed. But if not, part ways, you made a little bit of money. Exactly. Right? You got yeah. paid for your time. Yep. And let's be honest, most people are doing this work up front for free anyways. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, to be honest, on top of that too, they're doing it for free, but it's not received as, as the same way if it's a free thing, right? So if you're saying, I'm going to, like the, the age old trick, which is what I cover in my, uh, my course on roadmapping is you, you sell an engagement, a fixed fee, fixed deliverable engagement, right? And I call it roadmapping, you can call it whatever you want. But it's basically just a way to kind of dig into the problem, figure out what should we do, prioritize things, eliminate things that shouldn't be doing and so on. And and basically the deliverable from that is a a report. It's a, here's a write-up of everything we discussed. Here's what I think you should be doing next and so on. And that report is the proposal for the big project, right? So when, when, like, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of a client, they see a report you paid for and a proposal that you got for free from some random person, like which one do they take more seriously, right? They're going to take that report more seriously. They paid for that. And it's valuable in its own right, but it's also the next steps for if they want to take this even further with you, here's what to do. And, and you're right. You, you could say, look, this isn't entirely dependent on you needing to do this with me. It's a roadmap. It's a prescription. But again, savvy clients are going to be realizing that there's a lot of risk in saying, well, okay, I'm not going to, you already have all this info. You already know that my entire business at this point, um, I'm going to go find some random person on Upwork and give them this and hopefully they'll get it done right. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of risk in doing that. And I, again, good clients know this. So, you know, if they end up saying, I'm going to go the cheap option that I'm going to outsource it to some, like, you know, somebody who's going to, I'm going to pay them $8 an hour to do it. They'd be a terrible client anyway. So it probably yeah. works out. Absolutely. So quick case study, just to make this more real for people, I think is uh, I got a client right now that's working through the exact same process. Um, Hi, Arlen, if you're listening. So Arlen's an engineer, right? And he helps medical device companies reduce their development timelines by using computer simulation instead of tissue testing. Very technical. Mm -hmm. But you know, if he waits for them to realize that they need tissue, that they they need computer simulation, then he's only going to get that very small fraction of the market that, like you said, may or may not actually get there. Most of them won't get there, right? 
So now he's going to the market with an offer that's more of that kind of turnkey service, a bit of an assessment where him and his team will assess how you can shrink your development timeline by up to 50%. Hmm. And maybe it's computer simulation, maybe it's other things that you could do that he doesn't even do himself, right? So they'll do the assessment as the experts. If it makes sense to proceed with computer simulation, he'll show them how to do that and how to proceed. If it makes sense to do something else, he'll connect them with the experts they would need. It's right. So now he's positioning himself. That's straight up, right? Like that's yeah. And that's kind of off the gone. But yeah, I mean, he's a consultant at this point. Yeah, exactly. No, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, Brennan, how does one learn more about this fantastic new course, the blueprint? Yeah. So if you go to um wfreelancing.com, click on products, then just click the blueprint link there. I don't have a fancy uh, you know, I talked about having selling some sort of freebie offering type thing. If if you want to see that in action, actually go to freepricingcourse.com. It's unrelated to the blueprint, but free pricing course is my primary nurturing lead magnet where I, I basically practice exactly what I cover in the course. And it's, if you want to deconstruct that, reverse engineer it, totally cool with that. But that's not for selling consulting, that's for selling online products, but the same, you'll see a lot of the same principles I talk about in the blueprint used in action uh, right there. Fantastic. And Brennan, doubleyourfreelancing.com is kind of the place people should go if they want to learn more about you and yep. follow you. Yep. You can find, you can find everything there. So. Awesome. We'll drop links to all of that in the show notes. Brennan, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is, if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.